Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Season 2 of the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. Welcome to those who are here for the first time, and a hearty welcome back to the LCP faithful. What we do here is look at what the mainstream media feels is important to tell us about current events, politics, science, religion, and just about anything else, but we're not interested in their spin. We want to look at these stories logically, and we especially want to look at these stories as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you'd like to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. It is often said that the eye is the window to the soul. The Bible says the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, although I don't doubt either of these statements, on a very practical level, the eyes are pretty darn important. You can live without sight, but it definitely makes things more complicated. On today's episode, first we're going to traumatize 16-year-olds, then we're going to have to pluck out and cast away our offending eyes. So get ready to revise your driver's ed manual, then get ahead of the game. Start practicing the following phrase, quote, you win this round, because do you see what I see? Ah, here we go. Look, at some point I realize that I will reach an age where I won't be able to set the proverbial clock on the VCR. Is that already dating me too much? I still have a VCR. It It's a pretty nice one, too. I got a couple of videotapes. Anyway, digression, right off the bat. I realize that my tech savviness will wane. I'd argue that it probably already has to some degree, but it's been more from the standpoint of lack of interest rather than lack of ability. There are some things I just don't care about. Say, pretty much anything made by the hated Apple Corporation... If I had to use those devil products, I feel confident I could learn them and use them without too much problem. I just don't want to. Various apps fall into this list as well, but again, I'd rather ask my kid, how do I do the Snapchat, as opposed to figuring it out by trial and error, because I don't really want to do the Snapchat. It's just a way to contact a very, very few people, if needed. I also realize that there will be a point that I'll kind of slide into the uh, get-off-my-lawn mode. You know, that, that time will come sooner rather than later, since, I, I mean, look at me, how much longer could I possibly have, right? So many poor life and, uh, and food choices. I don't feel I'm uh, at that point yet, but I have found myself yelling at that rotten youngling that's clearly going too fast in the neighborhood. I mean, not at him directly, just in my car, and that's what I'd tell him if he was right here. i lie to myself like everyone else. I don't want to be either of those two people, that's what I'm trying to say, and I definitely don't want to be both of those two people, as that means I'm not only bitter, as I clearly am now, I'd be bitter and old. So, whenever I choose articles, like we're going to look at in a few moments, I feel like I'm the, get off my lawn, but first, how do I get to tickety-tock on my jitterbug portable telephone guy? Yeah. Hopefully you don't think that of me, but I'm a realist. I can't be mad if you do. (laughs) Get with the times, old man. I mean, okay, I know. I get it. I get it. Found on MotorBiscuit.com, headline, Green, Yellow, Red. Now engineers want a fourth traffic signal light. (laughs) Wait, I'm an engineer, and I absolutely do not want another color on the lights. What I'd like to be honest, is some sort of laser-guided missile, something or other, you know, to leave a smoking crater where the 12 cars were that decided that that yellow light and a little bit of that red light still means they can make that left turn into two lanes of stop traffic 
completely blocking the entire intersection where I'd like to turn to go home at the end of my workday. That's what I'd like, not a fourth light. Yeah, you don't see me getting a news article on motorbiscuit.com, though, do we? Anyway, what kind of tomfoolery could we possibly be up to now? So, per their opening paragraph, the yellow light was added to the stoplight in 1920, and for the last 100 years, that seems to have been, uh, you know, good enough. What in the world do engineers want now? Well, well, they, uh, they want a white light added to the lights. Ali, uh, Ali, it's gotta be Ali, Ali Hajba, Ali Hajbabei, <clears throat> the Associate Professor of Civil Construction and Environmental Engineering at North Carolina State says regarding the new white light, quote, and just to be clear, the color of the white light doesn't matter. What's important is that there be a signal that is clearly identifiable by drivers. Now, I say again, apparently people today have a very difficult time discerning between a green, yellow, and red as they all apparently seem to look the same and they all apparently mean the same. Just keep right on going. So maybe he's right. Maybe the color wouldn't matter. Nobody's going to care anyway. But okay, what's the point of this light? This is for autonomous vehicles, you know, self-driving vehicles, like the ones that Elon Musk and Tesla were just forced to recall. You know, 360,000 of them for not having safe enough self-driving something or other. I didn't read about it. I don't really care. Yeah, the white light, uh, yeah, it's, it's for those, those cars. Now, traffic engineers are saying that this would decrease travel time and decrease fuel consumption. How, you may ask? Well, because the white light would be controlled by the autonomous vehicle. See, as they approach the light, the computers in the car would communicate with the computer that controls the light and would turn the light white, which tells all of us that the AVs have taken control. Then it's very simple. As long as the light is white, you just do what the vehicle in front of you does. If they go through the intersection, you do too. If they stop, you stop. If they swerve and accelerate, hitting a person, then a tree, then burst into flames and burn for the next 18 hours, requiring 6,000 gallons of water to put out, and even then, who knows, right? Well, you do the same. But once the AVs have left the building, or they're all on fire somewhere, the lights revert back to the olden days of only three colors for us lowlifes using non-autonomous vehicles, or even worse, climate-massacring, fossil-fuel-burning death machines. Mr. Hodge, Mr. Hodge, Mr. Ali said, quote, this concept we're proposing for traffic intersections, which we call a white phase, taps into the computing power of autonomous vehicles themselves. The white phase concept also incorporates a new traffic signal so that human drivers, I'm assuming he spit on the floor at this point, we continue, quote, so that human drivers know what they are supposed to do. Red lights will still mean stop. Green lights will still mean go. And white lights will tell human drivers to simply follow the car in front of them. Now, white phase and white lights, I mean, can anyone say racist here? But but honestly, he said what green, green means go, right? And then and then red means stop still, and white means do whatever the car in front of him. But, but, but what does yellow mean now, Mr. Professor Man? That's the information I need to know. Now, lest you scoff, 
Quote, to test their theories, engineers configured computational traffic simulator models. From these tests, they can determine traffic flow for intersections both with and without the white light. What they found was that with or without white light signals, AVs improve traffic flow, but more so with the white light. So what kind of savings are we talking here per the computer model? Well, if 10% of the vehicles on the road are AVs, delays are reduced by 3%. If 30% are AVs, delays are reduced by 10.7%. So there you go. One little hitch in the plan as of right now, quote, right now the only downside is that AVs aren't ready for prime time, and some autonomous drive engineers suggest that we may never see a 100% driverless world. Oh, oh, well, I mean, if we can just eliminate humans, then the terminate, uh, I mean, the autonomous vehicles and the AI can just run everything and everything would finally be perfect. Am I right? Right? Okay, so I have some thoughts. Shocker, I know. First of all, the current autonomous vehicles use a system of GPS and a combination of proximity sensors, infrared sensors, and cameras in order to speed out of control and crash into things. Although there is definitely communication through, I'm not sure, cell signal, satellite signal between these types and, and really honestly right now many cars and some central location, this is from at least my understanding more of a just a communication thing with some basic vehicle system overrides that could be enacted. For the most part, the computing power is a self-contained, self-focused system. This proposal at the very base level requires real-time communication between vehicles and traffic lights, which would likely need some upgrading in the AVs and a lot of upgrading in the traffic lights, and some computer acting as the master unit that would take care of calculating time and distance, and most importantly, priority. This kind of system and this kind of programming, block after block, light after light, with random AVs mixed into mostly human-driven vehicles, is far from easy. Additionally, have you ever used a computer? I mean, they're powerful now. I mean, it's compared to when they were first created, obviously. They're very powerful compared to what personal PCs used to be even a handful of years ago. Even our cell phones, which my phone, definitely not the top of the line, especially now with it being over two years old, has what? infinity more power and storage space than my first gateway I bought in college. And I got a very good upper-end system back then because you're saying I can finance it? Well, let's get the better video card then. <laughs> yeah, they're great. But has your computer ever crashed? Have you ever gotten the blue screen of death or the pinwheel of death? Ever had to power fail your phone to restart it because it's either... Try that or, you know, slam it directly to the ground while scaring the dog and making note of what you're going to need to repent of later. Yeah, computers are amazing things right now and they're going to get better. There's no question on that. Cellular speeds are crazy now with 5G, despite being a tool of Satan or whatever the rumor was. And they're already talking about 6G cell speeds. And I don't even know what that is. So, yeah, things are better and getting better. That said... Do we want to have a massive number of rolling computers all looking along the route, communicating to a number of traffic light-based computers, assuming that all the coding was done correctly, all the 
algorithms are calculating correctly, and that it won't glitch or crash or suddenly slow down for no reason whatsoever. See, this is where I'm at the get-off-my-lawn phase of life. I've used computers and programs enough that I, I don't want this. And more to the point, I absolutely don't trust this. A quick, slightly related rabbit trail. In my current job, we have a large robotic arm. Its job is to pick up a pallet from a stack, set it on a conveyor, then pick up four 55-gallon drums, one at a time, and set them on said pallet, at which point the pallet conveys out, the robot repeats. When I first came into this position, this robot had been running for about two years, and when I say running, I mean it was powered up, it was sort of doing its job, but it required someone there to babysit it nearly every day. It was the biggest frustration, the biggest joke that this plant had. One problem, the one that they had been focused on for two years, was that the computer controller would just suddenly freeze. it just lock up, requiring a cycling of the power to restart it. Now, those prior to me tried everything I would have tried and a bunch of stuff I probably wouldn't have thought of. Turns out, and, and this was, I mean, honestly, just really a stroke of luck, it was one small communication wire that needed to be grounded, and it never had been. We did that, and it's been nearly a year with no issues. So apply this to our AVs and our traffic lights. It takes one small manufacturing error, an installation error, possibly just time, and vibration, etc., and these systems could fail. But beyond that, what nobody focused on until I got there were all the bugs in the code. Now, I can't fault them. They literally had developed tunnel vision trying to fix the one problem. Coming in with fresh eyes and a different thought process, I saw the bugs as being the bigger of the two problems in all reality. And this was designed, coded, and installed by professionals who had done this sort of thing many times in many industries. And there were so many bugs in the code. As we tried to figure out the freeze-up issue, I started working a second path to eliminate these bugs. It had a lot of dead ends in the code, for instance, where if it tried to do something and a parameter wasn't met, it would just sit there, you know, stuck, no idea what to do next. So I worked with the programmers, told them what it was doing, what I wanted it to do. They either reprogrammed it or told me how to do it, and one at a time, we removed the bugs. That said, I know there are still bugs. One actually popped up the other day. The problem is that these are so random and need a very specific set of circumstances that even trying to figure out exactly what the code did versus what the human did versus what the robot was trying to do, it would be nearly impossible to find all the little bugs in the code. For times like these, and this is the first one this year, hit the e-stop, give me a call, I'll get it back in sequence for you. Now, I know that were we to try an AV traffic light and traffic pattern, the testing would be scrupulous. The debugging would have to be intense and exhaustive, you know, because of the potential liability. But they'd never get them all. The algorithms are too complex to be confident that the program would be coded so perfectly so as to eliminate any, you know, whoopsies in the future. And I'm speaking from the perspective of one robotic arm that does basically two operations and just repeats them over and over and over. When you're talking about potentially dozens or hundreds of cars, block after block of stoplights with intersecting traffic and hundreds or thousands of non-autonomous vehicles, the complexity is, well, let's just say high. Now, I know they proved their theory, this concept, by creating a, quote, computational traffic simulator model. That's a great name for it, right? But that model is perfect world. 
What about the jogger or the bicyclist that decided they can make it? What about the guy in the car that, uh, yeah, I know it turned red, but it only turned red like five seconds ago. I can still make that. What about the guy that wasn't paying attention and slammed right into the back of the AV and shoved it into the intersection? See, the number of computations and potential situations is nearly infinite. No program can be coded to handle all situations. They can handle most, but not all. You'll never get them all. They wrap up the article with, quote, Some autonomous drive engineers suggest that we may never see a 100% driverless world. Well, I mean, yeah, that's only sort of correct. I think it's going to have to be either we do see 100% driverless vehicles or we don't. If we don't, we can't ever have fully autonomous vehicles. I mean, we can, but I don't believe that we'd ever see an AV that can handle all situations a human may throw at it. The problem is that humans aren't logical. The saying says, go ahead and idiot-proof it, we'll design a bigger idiot. The occasional tendency to ignore logic can be both a positive or a negative depending on the situation. For normal driving, good roads, smoothly flowing traffic, AVs could take over and shine, allowing us to sleep or read or work on our podcasts. But for the same reason I'm not really concerned about AI taking over the world, I'm very skeptical about our cars becoming autonomous, and it all comes down to human illogic. We may not be able to react as fast, and we may make irrational decisions based on the situation, but when a computer sees the option being hit the dog or hit the person and picks the best option per its programming, human thinking will, in a split second, go in a completely different direction. Uh, How about slamming the front of this car into that guy's porch? I've got airbags and insurance. Now, both AI and AVs are still computers that rely on their programming to set parameters of actions. The more we rely on computers to make our decisions, the more we're actually relying on some programmer or team of programmers to have programmed the computer correctly to make the decision they think we'd want to make within the parameters of the situation we find ourselves in. I'm not confident I like that, to be honest. Humans were designed and created in a way that no computer will ever be able to perfectly replicate. Ever. Mark my words, it'll never happen. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. The process of evolution would and could never create a mind that would do illogical things. For that matter, it would never create emotions, or at least not the range of emotions that we have. I mean, some of them are just kind of useless when you come down to it. I mean, why develop them? And while we're speaking of creation, think for a moment about driving. Think about how you get from point A to point B. Do you even remember getting from point A to B most of the time? Coming home after school or work, driving to church, going to the store, you just kind of do it. But think about all the things you do consciously and sub or sometimes darn near unconsciously. Think about how many lights either are or aren't around you when you drive. Think about the gauges, the lights, and the controls in the car. Think about the road markings, the road signs, other signs. What about when you drive through an area you're not familiar with? Just look at the massive amount of information that goes through your ears, your eyes, your nose, even the feeling of the car on your butt and your back against the seat, your hands on the steering wheel and your feet on the pedals or the floor of the car. And then throw in the fact that we can go from mindlessly jamming to the Logical Christian Podcast on the radio, obviously, to snapping into full attention automatically making moves, corrections, etc. when something abnormal occurs, or when we even perceive something abnormal happened or is about to happen. For these traffic engineers, 
or this professor to say, hey, let's take the traffic light that everyone knows and uses, the one that's been around for a 100 years, and let's just add another light. Well, the first thing he has to do, likely without giving it a second thought, is evaluate and conclude that man has the capability to not only adapt to a fourth light on a traffic signal, learn what it means, do what it's telling him to do, but that man can adapt from the fourth light to the previous three lights, not only from location to location, but light to light, and also with the same light. Only the fact that we are created the way we are allows engineers to design AVs to come up with the idea of and design new traffic lights in very complex computer systems to manage the lights in the cars and to adapt to new and additional signals and inputs to be able to use these new traffic lights in the first place. Now, personally, I think we'll have autonomous vehicles in the future that work very well. I think the idea that everyone will drive an AV is a possibility, but not until far far into the future. I don't think I'll ever see that day. I don't think my kid will ever see that day. Now, I do think that attempts will be made to just, you know, mandate it, just as attempts are being made to mandate electric vehicles. And I think the same kind of hyped up surge in adoption of AVs will happen, like it did or is doing for EVs. And I think that we'll see the same kind of frustration and swearing off the technology forever. And we might actually be seeing it now with EVs and, and AVs that will set the tech back a long time. And while we have a mix of AVs and human-driven vehicles, we're going to have problems. We'll have accidents. We'll have conflicts. Because as I said, for better or worse, computer can't think like a human. And it can't predict an unpredictable human. And although the world is looking for ways to take humans out of the loop of pretty much as many things as possible, you know, so as to remove that unpredictability, the reality is that humans can never be entirely replaced by computers, and that's not a bad thing, because as David's saying to God, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, welcome back, comrades, comradettes, and the little ones listening, the com comedians, whatever. This is part seven of our look at the Communist Goals for America, as read into the Congressional Record by a Democrat, I feel the need to make that known every single time, back in 1963, 60 years ago as of this January, in fact. We've been picking up some steam in our look at the goals because they're starting to kind of all fall like dominoes at this point. Goal number X, yep, check. Goal number Y, oh, yeah, yeah, that too. Now, we've made it through the first 23 goals, and with partial credit, by my count, they've accomplished the equivalent of 15 and one-half of the 23 goals, or a mere 67.4% of their goals thus far. I mean, that's only a D. They're only two-thirds of the way of making the U.S. a communist country. <laughs> Big deal. A D. Shoot, I could get Ds. Just look at my college transcripts. So I thought I'd take just a few minutes and do a quick recap of where we've been, kind of group them together, before moving into the second half of the list. But come on, we can't do this in this dry, sterile environment, can we? Ah, it's much more like it. So the first chunk of goals were basically a desire for communism to be accepted as a legitimate system around the world. Russia, China, and the smaller Soviet satellites accepted into the UN, accepted into trade, etc., etc. They used the threat of nuclear war for the U.S. to accept and capitulate to various demands. They wanted to try to get the U.S. to totally disarm to show how morally superior we are. They wanted free trade with the world. They wanted long-term loans and various types of aid from America. 
They wanted the UN to be the arbiter and ruler of the world, in fact rewriting the charter to make it a one-world government, with of course China and all Soviet states having membership and voting rights in the UN, along with Russia. This basically encompasses the first 11 goals, all geared toward the world stage. They had a fair amount of success in these goals, accomplishing the equivalent of 7 of the 11 goals, or 63.6%. Then they turned their focus to the interior of the United States, which we aren't done with yet because they encompass nearly the entirety of the rest of the list, which shouldn't be shocking since this is a list of goals for the United States. So far, they've wanted to make sure that the U.S. didn't outlaw communism, didn't require anti-communist loyalty oaths. They wanted to use our patents. They wanted to weasel in and possibly take over one or both political parties. They wanted to weaken the courts by pushing them towards civil rights violations, but away from the Constitution. They wanted to grab control of the public school system, which in itself is actually a communist system at its root and indoctrinate the kids with communism. They wanted to foment and use riots to repel attacks against communism. They wanted to take control of all forms of media at that time and finally degrade art, TV, movies, music, etc. from something meaningful to something pointless and vague and mind-numbing. So how do they do with this chunk of goals? Well, doing the math, they were able to hit the equivalent of 8.5 out of the 12 goals, or about 70.8%. That in itself is scary, uh, as they've been more successful inside the United States uh, to protect and promote communism than they have been on the world stage. And they aren't done yet. And giving credit where credit is due before we go on, that was entitled National Anthem of USSR Kazoo Cover by YouTube content creator Kazoo Covers. The link is in the notes. It doesn't look like he or they've published anything in a couple of years, but they do have a full-length version of The Final Countdown all in kazoo, which is just fantastic. Anyway, without any further communist propaganda, let us continue in the list, shall we? Goal number 24, quote, Eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and free press. Um, okay. So, as one researches certain things that jump to mind, one must be very careful about how one phrases the search term in DuckDuckGo, as one could easily slip off the deep end of the internet. Now, I don't think I need to convince anyone that this goal is absolutely accomplished. Nevertheless, I'm going to. Let's look at a few examples, shall we? First, Let's define obscene. In Webster's Dictionary Online, they currently define obscene as, quote, disgusting to the senses, repulsive, or abhorrent to morality or virtue, specifically designated to incite to lust or depravity, or containing or being language regarded as taboo in polite usage, or repulsive by a reason of crass disregard of moral or ethical principles. Now, if we back up a little bit to Webster's Dictionary uh, that was in circulation up to 1843, obscene was defined as, quote, offensive to chastity and delicacy, expressing or presenting to the mind or view something which delicacy, purity, and decency forbid to be exposed, impure as obscene language, obscene pictures, or foul, filthy, offensive, disgusting. Now, I think the old definition is probably better, but both at least address 
morals and ethics in various general ways. The reality is still today, for the most part, we know what obscene means. Now, I think that concept of obscene and immodesty is being lost in the latest generations, though, and to be honest, my my generation and the generation before me didn't do it a whole lot of favors. I mean, need I remind anyone of the beach movies and bikinis of the 1960s? Basically, after the Little House on the Prairie days, modesty of all kinds kind of went to poopy caca. In fact, there would have been a time when poopy caca would have been considered obscene. So what about language? Is there anything that can't be said on broadcast TV now? I mean, I know the nightly news anchors aren't dropping the F-bomb as part of their stick and lies, but if it's dropped repeatedly during, say, a sporting event, does anyone even notice anymore? I mean... Let's go, Brandon, right? I mean, that's where the phrase came from because that poor girl doing the interview had to do something with the clear chant of F. Joe Biden in the background, right? And some of the topics that have always been taboo, you know, bodily functions, sexual acts, etc. Well, those are broadcast now, like I was asking you for the time or the weather. Clothing, or lack thereof, uh, about 10 to 15 years ago, the Free the Nipple campaign started. Now, this is a campaign by a woman's organization saying that if men can walk around topless, why can't women? To which most men in the country said, yeah, why not? Now, somehow, I don't think that was being said for the sake of equality, though. There are a handful of states, and more specifically cities around the U.S., that you can pretty much walk around nude as long as you're not engaging in, let's say, business of some sort, and in some cases, as long as you're not making others feel uncomfortable. What about these Hollywood types, the, you know, hashtag MeToo crowd that have all been screaming about being ill-used in the movie industry, but have you seen what they wear to the award shows? If it's not tight enough to show off not only all the nooks, but also all of the crannies, it's short enough, or it's essentially see-through. The nipple has been freed, but just as long as you have a sheer piece of cloth over it, we'll just all pretend you're clothed. Speaking of movies, have you given the movie ratings much thought? In 1922, what is now the MPAA was created. In 1952, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that movies are protected by the First Amendment. In 1968, the first version of our modern rating system was created. There were four ratings, G, M, R, or X. G was for general audiences, M was for mature audiences, R was for restricted audiences, and X was for xylophone, I'm assuming. Personally, I have no idea what X could possibly mean. I mean, I've only heard of R-rated movies from others. <laughs> Later, the M, remember, mature, was changed to PG, parental guidance. So they decided that it may be mature, but if a parent feels their child is old enough to handle it, well, so be it. And then in 1984, because that PG rating was a bit too broad or too restrictive, depending on your point of view, and we needed to pack a little more, you know, toplessness and violence and or language in some of these otherwise family-friendly movies, PG was downgraded and PG-13 was introduced. Then in 1990, we wanted to get rid of that creepy old man stigma to the X rating, so that was changed to NC-17, standing for No Children Under 17 without a parent. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean it contains, you know, gratuitous sex or full nudity or gory violence, but it doesn't not mean that either. I think we all know what NC-17 means, and although we now claim that the brains of children aren't done forming until they're 26, we apparently feel that 17 is a fine old wise age to let kids into clearly obscene movies. Then in 2007, <laughs> 
finally smoking is taken into consideration when rating a movie because that's the thing we really need to police here. And now, I mean, remember the controversy about the movie Cuties on Netflix? Basically just softcore child porn. This time, seriously, though, from what I've heard, I did not venture into that one and have no intention to. But interestingly enough, when looking up what state's nudity is legal in, I found a Quora page that had uh, an answer, and it had a list of other related questions, which, no, sir, I'm not clicking on. No, oh, no, no. They include, quote, Am I a bad mother if I let my 13 to 16 years old daughters go topless on the beach in a place where it's legal during our family vacations? (laughs) What? Uh, How about, uh, quote, Is it okay to let my 14-year-old son roam around naked on a beach while there are girls aged 13 to 18 on the beach? I mean, speaking as a man, no, that's fine. I mean, come on, come on. We seriously need to ask the internet these questions as adults, as parents. We don't know the answers to these questions. And probably my favorite question, and that's a sick way of using the word favorite, but my favorite question that should have instantly flagged the black helicopters, quote, is it legal to take pictures of nude teenage girls at the nudist beach? Sir, and I I didn't click on the question, but come on, we know this was a guy. I'm going to need you to go ahead and put your hands behind your back. We're, we're currently obtaining a search warrant for all of your electronic devices. But, you know, I understand the confusion, especially with more and more out-of-the-closet minor-attracted persons or maps. Not pedos anymore. No, no, no. Pedophile has a stigma. These are just grown adults that happen to find themselves attracted to children. Nothing wrong there. No consequences of past actions at all. What about music? I remember when Two Live Crew came out when I was in high school. Yes, I'll admit, I know a few of their songs. Not as well as I used to. And like many horrible groups, the beat and the sound of the music was great. Especially when you had a couple of 12-inch Rockfords driven by a Rockford amp thumping in the back of your hatchback. But do you recall the mass hysteria when they'd announce a city they'd be performing in? In some cases, the police met them at, like, the city line and turned them away. This was obscenity. It is obscenity. Now, today we call that music, and pretty much every group from rap to hip-hop to rock, to pop to country, probably modern polka and hip-hopera, if that's even a thing. If it's not, it should be. Uh, They're all singing basically the same thing, maybe not quite as crude For some, but for others, oh, definitely just as bad, if not worse. And at best, we get the more kind of squidgy words blurred on the radio edits. Moving to art, whether that's painting, sculptures, or just painting up a naked woman to wander the streets to look like she has clothes on, but clearly she got no clothes on. How about the singing cowboy guy in New York City? That's art, right? He's just out there in his tidy whiteies, boots and a hat. How is that not obscene? I mean, need I go on? I've spent way too much time here on this already. Do you want me to tackle the internet? I mean, sure. The kids these days, they have to somehow navigate the unbelievable Fort Knox-style security of porn sites. You know, you have to be at least 18 years old. Are you 18? Hmm, well, I could be. (laughs) Yes, click. Uh, That kid, he must be a hacker to get through that kind of gauntlet. And social media sites, which can be used for good, only take a slight bit of searching to find the pornographic or grooming pages. Of course, Facebook has a solid stance on nudity still. But if you're trans or non-binary, you can go topless because, you know, who are we to judge? 
Then let's get into just general filth really quick. San Francisco. They literally have a poop patrol. About five years ago, the amount of homeless population poo on the streets and sidewalks was, you know, getting to the point that they offered five positions out of the Department of Public Works at a rate considering salary and benefits of $184,000 a year to go around the streets and just clean up the human poo. We don't want to get the homeless off the street or enforce some sort of no pooping on the sidewalk type law. That would be discriminatory. We'll just clean up after them. And it seems like at least every month or so we hear another story of someone going in a store, getting in an argument, dropping their pants, and then dropping a deuce right there, you know, in protest. Now, I'll be honest. I wish I had that kind of command, but... But then I wouldn't get as much reading done, I suppose. <laughs> oh, it's probably too much information. Anyway, the general filth in the country is in some cases also protected somehow. And yeah, I mean, I guess the goal says, quote, eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and free press. Have we eliminated all the laws? Yeah, I mean, no, not quite yet. Have we eliminated most of the laws? Yeah, we've eliminated most of the laws, and the ones that are on the books really don't have a whole lot of teeth anymore. And I don't see just any way of getting around giving this one a full-out check. You know, uh, mission accomplished. That would bring us to 16.5 of 24 goals accomplished. Now, I spent way too much time on that one subject. My apologies. It's just... Once I started going down one path, I was like, oh, wait, and? And then you go down that one. Oh, oh, also, and it got out of control. One could almost say I spent an obscene amount of time on that one goal. But lest you feel yourself ill-used or cheated in any way, let's go look at goal number 25 quick. Goal number 25. Quote, break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books, magazines, motion pictures, radio, and TV. <laughs> now, what can I add here, you may ask? Uh, nothing, absolutely nothing. To hear my take on this goal, rewind the podcast about 15 minutes or so, press play, but only follow this command one time. If you keep following this direction, you'll get caught up in a loop of obscenity and you're not going to want to be there. I think we can say that goal number 25 is fully met as well. That brings us to 17.5 of 25 goals realized. And that puts us right at 70% exactly. We've just hit a C-. And as any struggling mechanical engineering student would tell you, C's get degrees. Now, I don't know what that has to do with the commies taking over our country, but that's what I said, and that's what others said in engineering school. Definitely not me. And with that... I think we'll bring this episode of the Communist Goals for America to a close. Glancing ahead in the list just a little, I'm not filled with great confidence. So as it's about that time for me to get in my breadline, I guess I'll just assume that between now and next week, I won't be disappeared. So I'll say bye for now. Well, we've reached the end of another episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, review, share, and all that podcasty stuff. Contact information can be found in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to me. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless. <laughs>